I could, I have no idea what the rule is and reviewing it is de- like, <laughs> who so, among us knows what the rule is? Yeah. But I think I talked to somebody higher up at the NHL a few weeks ago and I said, why don't we redo the rule book? And he's like, that's going to take at least five years. I'm like, <laughs> the best time to plant a tree is yesterday. The second best time is right now. I didn't say that to him. I was like, okay, makes sense. Hey, everybody, it's Allison Lucan, and we are back with another episode of Too Many Men, and I am delighted, enthusiastic, rejuvenated to tell you that we are once again joined by the globe-trotting, sports-covering, dedicated, sacrificing sleep to give you the coverage you demand, Sarah Sivian. Sarah Unfortunately, the team you cover, their season is done. But tell us, how are you? What are your immediate takeaways? Yes, I am delighted to be back and happy to be able to spend more time on the pod, maybe doing some more creative things. So everybody look out for little pod upgrades here. Um, I am great. I mean, not the season the Canes wanted to end like this. I think they thought within the room they were going to win the cup. And they kind of choke. I don't want to know if I want to say choke. We'll get into that. But I am great. (laughs) And, of course, we are joined by the hair color changing, pride women representing, fighting for what's right, Shayna Goldman. Shayna, say hi. Hi. (laughs) Well, y'all, it is is officially the off-season for the teams that we cover all now officially. Shayna's a national writer, so she doesn't have a team. So her team has already been out. Sarah's team is out. My team is out. So y'all, in celebration, shall we crack one celebratory claw? My <laughs> Zoom is blurring my claws if I'm going to the police. I don't have a claw. <laughs> Five claws later, I might be going to the police. Cheers, everybody. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. A season well done by everyone, but of course, there is still hockey. Uh, Shayna and I have been trying to hold it down without Sarah, but Sarah, you already mentioned the Canes. Um, Do you have any takeaways on what's happened? You know, we saw game one from the Western Conference. In the midst of like 2006 goals, everyone's really fired up about an offsides call. (laughs) So what what are your takeaways? Just quick, catch our audience up to date with where you are with what happened yesterday or two nights ago. Yeah, my take is I'm really like, I, and my take is I'm sick of the fucking takes. I'm sick of it. I'm try, I was trying not to swear, but I'm sick of the takes about everything except for the game. And it's not anybody's fault because we should be asking ourselves what's going on with offside. I thought like I could, I have no idea what the rule is and reviewing it is de- like. <laughs> Who so, among us knows what the rule is? Yeah, but I think I talked to somebody higher up at the NHL a few weeks ago and I said, why don't we redo the rule book? And he's like, that's going to take at least five years. I'm like, the best time to plant a tree is yesterday. The second best time is right now. I didn't say that to him. I was like, okay, makes sense. But seriously, why don't we just start right now? I don't get it. If we, It's so vague that we could be here all day. You have that, my friends, about wisdom. That. We're ready for the off season. <laughs> and that, my friends, is why Sarah Sibian brings the heat, why we love her so much. <laughs> well, we've given you our, our predictions. We've given you our previews of these series, and we're going to keep coming back to y'all with coverage. 
but we also would be remiss if we didn't come back to the big themes, the big news items, the things that are drawing our attention, the things that are pissing us off. Let's start with Sarah Sivian's favorite segment, a bit o' news. Uh, as we know, as the off season continues, that we need like a sound effect for that. I'm gonna. Get I know one. we need a leprechaun or something Irish. It has to be Irish. Why? It just has to be. Are any of us Irish? Does it no. matter? My dad was born on St. Patrick's Day. That's there you counts. go. <laughs> all right, bit of news. We have continuing. This is going to continue out through all the off season. We know this coaching carousel information. Let's start with what we know to be confirmed. Yesterday, it was announced that Montreal made it official. Martin St. Louis, who did an exceptional job helping the Habs rebound from what was just a disastrous season, is going to officially be back in formal capacity. And our friend Avery on Twitter had a hilarious tweet. I don't know if you guys saw this. Montreal's like, officially, he's the 32nd coach of the Habs. He's like, wasn't he already the 32nd coach of the Habs? Like, just because he was interim, he was still the coach of the Habs. Like, why don't you get a number until you're officially named? But anyway, uh, Shayna, this is a player, a former player, who's had a connection with the Rangers, a team that you have watched quite a bit in your career. Any thoughts on St. Louis taking over as a bench boss in Montreal? I think it's wonderful. I think he was a breath of fresh air to the Montreal Canadiens that needed it the most. I was not a fan of Dominic Ducharme. I was the first one to say it. I didn't. When Claude Julien was fired, I found it really perplexing that that was the assistant to take over when that was the area they were struggling. So I was personally never a fan. Um, I did talk to someone a little more recently who, who said like he had ideas. He just had so much like structure that he didn't know how to execute his ideas. But then you see St. Louis come in and this is a player who knows what it's like to be top of his game elite and knows what it takes to be the underdog who has to battle his way through and really like understands it all, understands all situation play, understands the most important you know moments of a season and understands what it's like to be on a dog shit team. So I feel like he gives you a bit of everything and he knows how it seems like to take his message and bring it to the top players. And he knows how to take that message and change it so you can talk to younger players and developing players or players who are struggling. And he just had a lot of really great ideas, like the, you know, uh, concepts, make reads over systems and concepts over structure and things like that that are, like, it's really encouraging to hear because we, we hear about coaching strategy and it's the same recycled voices and ideas and hear someone who actually brought something a little bit different, even if it's not totally revolutionary it's just building on what we already know for coaches and seeing how it clicks and you could see the players cling on to that how some of them were like instructed to legitimately change their games or Cole Caulfield learning from another short king that we love <laughs> and Sarah that's exactly what I was going to ask you we on this show are big advocates of not going back to the same old coaches again and again and while San Louis is a former player this is an individual who has their literally first time in a pro capacity coaching. Your thoughts on just going a little bit off the grid, giving a new face an opportunity and what you think Marty can do with the Habs going forward. Yeah, it's short King summer all the way, baby. And I do think <laughs> it's important. I think when you're a former player, there are certain, like just listening to the guys in exit interviews today talk about Rod, he played the game, so you listen to what he says. And there are ways when you didn't play the game to coach that I think a lot of people get wrong. Like, I think a lot of coaches who didn't play will be tough on guys instead of kind of playing into the fact, I didn't play, I trust you. But 
let's rally the troops type of thing, like, and do X's and O's behind the scenes. You know what I mean? I don't know if I'm explaining that well, but I think uh, St. Louis is something, they need a respectable person to look up to that has kind of history, but is kind of a fresh voice at the same time. So I think that's a good call. Yeah, I like it too. I had a, a brief opportunity to interact with uh, St. Louis when he was a power play consultant in Columbus, and I'm pretty jazzed for him. I think it's going to be great, and I'm excited to see what he can do. Um, while not a confirmed hiring, um, a bit of significant speculation for another NHL team, and that is the Winnipeg Jets. And while this is not a name of someone who's going to be the head coach, it is being reported that Scott Arneal is likely to end up in some form of coaching capacity with the Jets. Uh, this is an individual who did not have a strong showing as a head coach when he was in Columbus. He's since bounced around the league. He's been in New York. He's been in Washington. He's been all over the place as an assistant coach. Now rumored to be back, but not in a head coach capacity. Shayna Scott Arneal going to Winnipeg. Thoughts? I watched him as an associate coach in New York and had a lot of thoughts and opinions on him. Uh, he, <laughs> granted, was with Elaine Vigneault, who was a head coach I had even more opinions on. But he made some odd choices, I remember, with, like, line combinations with more skilled players playing in the bottom six over, like, grindier players that didn't bring much. And there was some weird ice time distribution. And the power play was a train wreck under him. Like... It's, it wasn't just a matter of not having the skill like they have now. They didn't always have Mika Zibanejad and Artemi Panera and things like that and Adam Fox, but, like, it was really bad. So I know he's gone elsewhere since, including with the Capitals, but is that the guy I'm going to pinpoint as the first person on my new coaching staff? Probably not. I don't think he's done much to prove that he should be there unless – you say longevity in the league is something, which I would not say is necessarily a good thing. I know we all look at it and go like, hey, Rick Bonus has been in the league for 30 years. And it's like, okay, and what has he done? I don't know. I'm just, I'm bored of these same coaches. And I'd love a good explanation of why, because I don't know right now. So maybe I'm judging before we even know the position. But what has he done to earn a position before they even build out the rest of the staff? I couldn't say. Sarah? Yeah, no, that's my exact mentality on it. It's just kind of, it must be nice to get this many opportunities. And I don't want to crap on the guy because I don't know him really and I'm not really that familiar with who he is as a coach. But I think you have an opportunity to kind of bring in a new voice that hasn't bounced around the league. And the, it's, it's the same thing why GMs don't necessarily always go for kind of an off-the-boards draft pick. It's because even though some of the off-the-boards options could be a really good idea, if you go with the safe thing and the safe thing is below average, your ass isn't on the hot pot or whatever it's called. Um, is, what is hot it called? Seat. The, hot seat. The jackpot, the jackpot and the hot seat. Who sits on a pot? <laughs> I think just keep going. That's just the we'll ass move on the jackpot. Anyway, I, I, I don't even. <laughs> is that? I don't know. That's a phrase. I think. But I want to see a GM with some cojones who goes off the boards and doesn't care about getting fired. So I don't think that. It, of course, Kevin Chevaldeoff, after what has transpired with the Blackhawks and everything, I think he's not going off the boards. So. Shit or get off the pot, one might say. There's a lot of pots going on here. <laughs> a lot of pots, a lot of seats, a lot of things. 
Well, we have one final bit of news, and it's something that we are all very particularly proud of here at Too Many Men. Friend of the pod, Everett Thompson, local of Grand Rapids, Michigan, this week it was announced, was drafted in the expansion draft for the FPHL to the Detroit Motor City Rockers. This is a big step in his continued hockey career. Sarah, tell us what this means for the player and how you think he can contribute to a brand new organization in the league. Yeah, he's a real team guy. Um, he's allowed to keep playing by his girlfriend because he's also going to be doing some coaching. So I am proud of him taking the next step there. And I walked into Kane's media availability today and there was somebody who was like, I didn't even know they have an expansion draft in the FPHL. It's like, I didn't either. So I, I obviously a few weeks ago, they figured that out, but I... <laughs> I'm proud of him, and he got new skates. He keeps putting them in the oven. I don't know what that's about, but um, oh, that's you like, bake uh, the skates, yeah. so that the so that the inside softens and then forms to your foot. Yeah, that's what's yep. going on. Um, He's I literally putting. Is he putting them literally in your oven at home? Yes, yes. So we'll see. Our days might be numbered, but I, <laughs> I um, who knows what that means for the Rangoon family, but we shall see. Exciting things on the horizon for all. I will be podcasting through it all. Sarah, does he does he walk around in his skates as well? Like He's around the house? That. He's been yeah. doing that. He's yep. breaking yep. them in, yeah. Yep, yep. So many steps behind the scenes in terms of what it takes to be a professional athlete. All right, well, those are our bits of news, but we have been remiss in getting to our regrettably necessary segment, and my goodness, friends, do we have some unfortunate, meaty material to discuss. First up, there's a lot to unpack here. Yesterday it was announced by the USHL, that's the United States Hockey League, that Mitchell Miller of the Tri-City Storm was named the USHL Player and Defenseman of the Year. The league was specific in clarifying that this is an award voted on by each member of the club's general manager after the club nominates their players for awards. To be clear, Mitchell Miller's stat line as published by the USHL was 60 games played, 39-44 for 83 total points, and a plus 43. For those of you who may not know the name off the glance, Mitchell Miller is also an individual who was accused and has been taken through some litigation related to harassing a mentally challenged individual. Um, for many years, there is an article on this on The Athletic by Aaron Portsline. Um, we will put that in the show notes. This player was drafted and then undrafted um, in the NHL, was it two years ago? Is that correct? Yeah. Uh, due to the severity of the accusations against him, the mother of the uh, abused child had written letters to every team in the league. Um, I, y'all, why does hockey keep doing this to us? I have concerns on clarifying that the GMs voted for this kid. I have concerns that the team nominated him for the awards. I have concerns that we have not had any acknowledgement whatsoever of the concerns about his character and or steps taken to rectify that. Of course, we can separate on-ice performance, but we can also look to be careful who we honor and glorify in this game. Shana, your thoughts. 
I think a lot of this stems from the fact that the Coyotes were willing to draft him in the first place because in a way it condones looking past everything else. And I'm not saying this is someone who necessarily would not deserve a second chance in the future. You know, you can take a lot of steps, but the worst, the worst things you do, the more steps it takes. And I haven't, I don't think we've seen any steps. So, you know, it, it looks poorly on leagues and teams for essentially condoning it by promoting him for his play on the ice. It, it like, it's tough because obviously you do have to be able to separate it. And at the end of the day, you're trying to win a game and yada, yada, yada. But yeah, like, it's the same thing as, do you remember with like Austin Matthews being nominated for the Lady Bing? It's like, it's in bad taste. And this is way more serious than that. And it just, it sets a bad example for young players coming up thinking, well, they can do whatever they want and still be promoted for, you know, their level of play. And yeah, it, it's just, it's really a tough situation. There's so many things that could have been done to not remedy it because you can't take it away, but try to build on it and show how you've changed and grown and really set an example of what to do. Because again, if you do something bad, it does not make you, you know, it doesn't have to define you forever, as long as you can find a way to build up from it. And there just really haven't been any signs of it. And it's disappointing on all parts. And yeah, the the, the Coyotes deserve a lot of blame for it. Even if they say, okay, we're actually not going to use this draft pick and whatever, like the damage was done off the bat. And now nobody nobody's answering for it it's just let's move on and to an extent sure you do have to move on from things but you have to you have to earn that opportunity and he hasn't Sarah you know it is true as Shana just said and and I tried to make the point as well of course a player can be acknowledged for on-ice accomplishments but in the current culture in which we live the opportunity to be a professional athlete is often considered a privilege and comes with responsibilities off the ice and our culture currently also heralds a lot of professional athletes in a context that is bigger than just their on-ice or on-field performance. Do How do we solve this problem? How can we approach rectifying this individual getting this award from leaders in the league in which he plays? Yeah, Shana is spot on that it starts with the Coyotes and that they kind of enabled this whole situation. And then it's like, okay, well, this guy had 39 goals as a defenseman. I understand why he'd be getting this on-ice award if it's given out, but he shouldn't have had the opportunity to do this because the two most disgusting things that I think about when I think about this situation is his mom going on Twitter saying, no, he didn't apologize. All we wanted was an apology. He did not apologize. And then when he apologized, he apologized to the teams and the league for letting them down. And right. it's how many like marks can we miss? How, why cannot we even at the very least hire somebody that can tell us not to say that they can't even do that. And I kind of like that they show their butts on that. Why? Like at least they don't have good PR people, but it is just really (laughs) heartbreaking for me to picture the mom who is still waiting for an apology, how she feels and how the kid feels seeing this. Right. And to clarify to Sarah's point, that is the mother of the victim. Um, The alleged victim has said that all she wanted for her and her son were an apology, and and to date, as far as we know, um, that has not occurred um, from the individual. So again, listen, we hear all the people who are gonna come at us with, well, on ice and off ice are different, but we also challenge you that this is a world which, we're not separating that in any sport, people, let's be real. So um, here's where we're at. Um, Welcome to the shit list, USHL. 
Um, moving on, we have an issue that we have talked about, but <laughs> as, as is the course of nature, if something can get worse, it absolutely will. And that is the issue of the events that transpired um, back between the Colorado St. Louis series. And that was specifically that after Nazem Kadri um, was involved in a collision with Jordan Bennington, which ultimately took him out of the series due to injury, there was um, accusations at the time immediately after the game that Bennington threw an empty water bottle, or a water bottle, I should say, in the direction of Kadri. And then there proceeded to be, as proven by Kadri's uh, wife, a slew, a vast array of terrible, awful threats and slurs sent Kadri's way. In the wake of this, the, since the last time we talked about this, and let's be very clear, we at Too Many Men do not condone any of that behavior. Um, when confronted on this, the head coach of the Blues was asked about um, his response to the uh, slurs and said he had no comment. Eventually, he came out later on May 25th, this is reporting by The Athletic's Jeremy Rutherford, and said, quote, I'm not on social media. I was aware of a threat made to Nazim, not the racist stuff. In no way is it acceptable by the St. Louis Blues or anyone else for him to have gone through that. Being a Native American myself, I've heard it all. I've been around it. It's not a good thing, so I wanted to get that out there, that there's no room for it anywhere. So this was days after the original no comment statement. Here's my thing. If the coach isn't aware, your organization has a responsibility to make your coach aware. That's what PR staffs do. And I'm not going to throw a PR staff under the bus, but there was clearly a communication breakdown here. And even if you don't know the details, if someone says, do you have any response on the racist threats against a player? Could you not say, I'm unaware of the specifics, but I would never condone racist threats against a player? I, I, I don't know. Sarah, your thoughts? I don't know if I had, like, I just don't, I think he should have acknowledged it at the time. I think if you're not aware, you should have been aware. I think you need to be paying attention. And I know that old school coaches have this mentality that they're not reading anything, but they should be, I think. I think that's part of the job now as somebody, I don't know if that's a stupid take, but I do think you have to know what's going on around you to be, because you, you know the players are on social media and they're seeing stuff like that and they might be getting, it might be getting in their heads or something like that. So if he's unaware of it, I think that's a bad job as a coach. Shayna? I don't care how involved in hockey you are with your life. And I'm not comparing myself. I'm not an NHL coach. But I work a lot of hours. A lot of hours. In hockey only. I still know what's going on in the world and with the news. And there have been many coaches to come around and say, we, that they don't, they don't know what's going on. I remember Lee Mignot in the bubble was asked about what was going on in the world. And he's like, well, my life is hockey. Guess what, buddy? Go on the news for five minutes. Don't tell me you don't turn on the TV and you only watch hockey. Everybody unplugs for 3.2 seconds. Unless that's what makes him such a crappy coach is that he doesn't. Who's to say I'm not? Actually, I am. I'm saying it right now. Um... For Barubi, this is a particularly bad look because he has a, as much as he can say, I've heard it all, he's also dished it all. There are many articles out there talking about incidents he was involved in as a player and how he made life hell for other players who 
you know, were different in any way from him. So I, I think the bigger question is, why aren't you a little bit more aware of this as someone who has dished it out to players? Can't you anticipate that someone's going to do it to Kadri? Everyone with 4.2% of a brain, not even half a brain, 4.2% of a brain can predict that if Kadri does something, this is what the response is going to be. So it's a shortcoming on him. I don't care how old school he is. If he doesn't go on Twitter or social media, everybody knew about this. And it's on the team around him to inform him of this and make sure because it's a bad look on the team if not. It's a bad look on him, especially when you consider his past. And let's not pretend the St. Louis Blues do not know about it because any idiot can go on Google and find it in three seconds. So... It just makes it all that much worse. And then even more so it's worse when you think about it, given that it's Bennington in this situation, given his past that we're all aware of. So I just have a hard time saying, oh yeah, it's cool he doesn't know. He should have been prepared to say something or if questioned on it on the spot, didn't have to say, I don't know anything. Just say, well, I don't condone it. Let's focus what happened on the ice. Case closed. But yep. no, he couldn't do that. And sure, his job is not to be a PR expert, but any idiot could have told you this. This isn't hard to be a decent human being. I do want to say uh, the social media manager of the Blues is an awesome woman. I think she donated against racism when this came out, and she's done this a few times. So not all the time can a social media manager have much power, but what she does with her donations and the words she says maybe on her personal account do show that... She, it might, she might be in a tough spot, and I feel for her for what maybe she had to do. Oh, before. yeah. Sure. I'm sure. Sure. And, and, you know, for people who maybe haven't been around a team a ton, um, to Sarah and Shana's point, if a coach is so locked in to the ongoings of his team on the ice, which we can respect to a degree, um, there is a PR staff around that coaching staff to help connect them with the stories, the themes, the storylines that are going on around them, particularly if it's relevant to their team. And we by no means um, are indicting anyone, even Brube. We don't know where the communication broke down here, um, but there was a communication breakdown to understand that this was a story and someone made a choice. Um, we don't know where that lies, but someone made a choice to at first say no comment and not even have a, a root reaction to say racist, talking about racism is bad um, or, or saying racist things is bad. I should be more specific. So um, again, very frustrating, but the issue kept getting better, y'all, because again, we go to Jeremy Rutherford of The Athletic, who does a tremendous job covering the blues. Um, he covered, of course, the team's exit interviews and this was the first time that Bennington was going to be able to speak on the incident. And if you uh, remember, at the time, it was all kind of conjecture. We thought that the, bo the bottle was thrown. We, were th we thought it was from Bennington. But no one had said that for sure, even Kadri himself. I think he said he thought it was Bennington. So here are, the, here are the comments from Bennington as reported by Jeremy Rutherford. Quote, I went to get my knee checked out mid-game. I was coming back to the rink, and the game just ended. Walking down the hallway, I couldn't find a recycling bin on my way down the hallway. Right before I walked into the locker room, I see him, Kadri, kind of doing an interview there, smiling, laughing, and I'm there in a knee brace limping down the hallway. I just felt like it was a God-given opportunity. I could just stay silent and go in the room, or I could say something and just have him look me in the eye and understand what's going on, something to think about. Yeah, I threw the water bottle, an empty water bottle. It landed like two feet from him. 
It is what it is there. I mean, but it is what it is. It's hockey and it's a competitive game. So that's it. Sarah, your thoughts on his God-given opportunity to throw a water bottle at an opponent? Well, it's not hockey. It, well, it's not hockey. Um, he says it's hockey. It's like, I don't, I know we want to update the rule book, but that's not in the current one. So maybe <laughs> Jordan has some suggestions. Um, I think, I don't want to be mean. I think he's kind of a weird guy. And he says weird things. And I don't think, I know they come off as funny to some people. It's, maybe it's just not my humor, not my jam. Um, I don't know if he's being serious. I don't think he's being serious about it being his God-given opportunity. But I don't know. Like, I don't, I can't get a read on this guy's sense of humor. I'm kind of creeped out. Shayna. Um, well, <laughs> I think that Jordan Bennington has big loser energy. And I think he proves it every time he does anything at all. Um, if that response was honest, which why would you make that up? Because you made yourself look way worse. I give him credit for being honest. I also get him credit for sounding like an ass because if you think you have a God-given opportunity to throw a water bottle at someone, what? And he's like, I want him to look me in the eye. The adult thing would have been to wait two seconds for him to be done with this interview and why not have a conversation with him? Even if you want to call him out and say, hey, hey, you, you, you fucking ruined my series. You ended my series and you always do this. You're a dirty fucking player. Fuck you. And walked away. <laughs> Would anyone ever like, you know what? As much as I don't like Bennington, I'd be like, I get it. I totally get it. Why would Kadri get the benefit of the doubt? One, two, you're furious, which you have every right to be if you get injured, intentional or not. You throw a water bottle at him while he's doing an interview because he's happy and smiling. His team just won. He didn't mean to do something. And you're just acting like the big loser that you are like everything about it i'm just like dude give it a rest Shana, be, like, I, I think you're totally right i think we do crap on the blues a lot but i think yeah. you, we you do make a good point that he was injured and his season was ended and it wasn't yeah it was a controversial play for sure so i he has every right to be pissed but the way yeah. he went about it and his comments are just like Okay, it's just the, the, you know, like you said, maybe it's just not our sense of humor, but like, <laughs> are you kidding? Because I don't know if you are. Like, do you really think it's your God-given opportunity to throw water? Like, I don't know. If you want to handle a situation at this point, you're an adult, just handle a situation. Because he's happy and you're not. Like, I don't know. Just, just, I don't know. Just act like an adult and just say something. Just say something. Like, and the fact is, like, it just looks even worse when you consider everything that happened afterwards. And, like, he could have said something, too. Like, hey, you want to call Kadri a dirty player and tell him, he, you know, whatever? Go off, but maybe draw the line somewhere. And you can still be, like, harsh with what you say. You can still say, Kadri deserves every bit of shit in the world because I do think he's a dirty player. There's still a difference when, besides being, like, leave it on the ice. Keep it to this. And I just get, he gets like, just like Kadri doesn't get the benefit of the doubt, whether or not it was intentional or not because of his history. Like, you don't get the benefit of the doubt because of your history. God, give me the water bottles to change the things I can't change. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. (laughs) All right, well, um, again, the gift that keeps on giving. Um, But this next uh, entry on the shit list was one that, this is not new, Um, This is not new to a lot of sports, to be honest. 
Um, but it really started to strike home with me. I'm sure each of us have our moments this season, at least. I mean, this happens every season, um, is that after a team is eliminated, we start to hear about the list of injuries that actually befelled every single player and what they played through and who's going to have surgery. Um, and sometimes we see these players laboring when they're on the ice. I mean, Shana and I talked about Dreisaitl, who literally seems to have one leg right now um, as or he plays. Or Brian Lindgren. Leg. We <laughs> talked about Lindgren, who literally left the game, and we were like, why are you playing when it doesn't matter? And everyone's right. like, yeah, hell yeah, buddy! The Warriors. They're <laughs> such warriors. <laughs> well, And so this is my, my kind of moment of, like, what are we even doing was uh, the Flames' Chris Tanev, um, defender out of, out of that team, who um, we saw him try and come back. It was, it was definitely an effort. He was not at his full potential, which is not his fault, because he was playing with, as reported by the team after the season ended, wait for it, a torn labrum, a separated shoulder, and a sprained neck. That is horrifying. Um, for, for people who are physio nerds like me, your shoulder is not actually connected to anything. Your arm is held in place by a series of ligaments and muscles. It's suspended there in that joint. He basically had half of the things that were holding his shoulder in place missing and very little control in addition to an immense amount of pain. And you guys alluded to this. There seems to be a culture in sport, not just hockey, of how impressive to come back from injury. And what I can't reconcile in my head is at what cost and at what benefit to your team. I mean, a lot of these players, when they come back and are playing through stuff like Chris Tanev played through, are you even helping your team at this point? Sarah, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure there's players that have stood out to you over the years of, of dealing with injury and fighting through just insane things. How do you reconcile this? What needs to be done to protect the players, first and foremost, and still fight like a team wants to for a championship? I want to be very careful with the way that I talk about this because it is a very sensitive subject to the players. And I know they get very upset when people kind of call them out for playing through injuries. And I think it's because they are they care about winning so much and they want to win and they don't want to let their team down but we need the NHLPA to protect them from themselves somehow there needs to be somebody who's forcing certain players with certain injuries not to play because they are going to be pressured to play and they're for the most part going to play or they're going to be run out of town there's been instances of teams I've covered where the guys are run out of town because they're not playing through an injury and I've heard just so many horror stories. Like my cousin used to play in the AHL and he got a, developed a painkiller addiction because he played through so many injuries. And this is not a one-off experience at all. So I think, and people get defensive about when they've played through injuries. And I don't, I don't want to take anything away from how hard that is. And I want to empathize with the players there that they are being pressured from themselves and all these internal things and external things that we tell ourselves that we have been in these hockey bubbles since grade one, right? Be being enforced and reinforced with these things. So it's very hard for them, but they need to be protected from themselves and they need to know that they aren't going to be branded as the weak player as, oh, don't sign him for the playoffs if they are to sit out 
with injuries. And I do agree with you that it, to some degree, it doesn't help their team. Shayna, you look at players and their ability to contribute. You are literally writing previews right now that measure how much a player is or is not going to be a difference maker. Is there a point, should this become part of the suffocating logic that if you're injured enough that you can't be at a certain level, it is better for you not to play? And I'm oversimplifying that a million times, but your thoughts? Yeah. I mean, like, I, I understand it can depend on the situation. Like, look, Leon Dreisaitl right now is playing better than the average lead forward would, even though he's on one leg. And if they determine that him playing right now is not going to do any structural damage or, you know, hinder his career in the future, and most importantly, his life in the future, then sure. We watched Ryan Lindgren the entire playoff run leave games to the point where it's like he's probably done. And in Game 7, it w- I, there was that one hit that it was like, He might be done for the playoffs. Like, he is in so much pain. He came back and he returned. But it got to a point where the game, it seemed, was out of reach. Why play him in those moments? At least give him the break. He was someone that you can see if the Rangers didn't have him kind of collapse without him because they don't have great replacements, which, again, that's a team-building problem. If you lose Connor McDavid, we don't expect anyone to step up. But if you don't have depth to step up to, like, that is on you and your team-building because you do have to prepare for these instances. But everyone anticipates everyone to be able to play through everything, so... You know, there's definitely a point where you see a player who can't contribute in a way that that you would expect them to. And Chris Tanev, you could see struggling through it when he returned. Like, did he really help anyone or did he only hurt himself? And you have to think about how will playing through an injury screw you up in the future? I think if I remember right, it was Eric Carlson who played through the ankle injury Mm-hmm. And it did affect him for the next season. And now you put yourself at a disadvantage. And who knows the long-term re- repercussions it has. You know, playing career is short. You still have to live a life after that. And there are so mm-hmm. many players who legitimately can't move around. and can't do normal things because of all the injuries they played through. And it's, it's tough because we know hockey culture and this is how it's promoted. But at a certain point, it doesn't help a team. And, you know, the players need someone to say you're not playing even if you get mad fight about it like you said like they need the decision out of their hands because we know what their answer will be 99 percent of the time like Aaron Eckblad had a high ankle sprain we think it was at the end of the regular season and the best thing that could happen was that the Florida Panthers needed the cap space it ensured he would not step foot on the ice in a game setting until the playoffs which was the best thing that could have happened to him and even when he did return who knows if he was 100 percent so imagine if he played through it and then what would have happened like it just it, it doesn't have to be this way, and it is, and it's the culture doesn't need to be propped up as much as it does, and then that would help everything else because obviously the players are going to feel a certain way, and no, you know, I get it. That's how it's always been, but ideally, the culture starts changing, and then everything else can you know trickle down with it. Yeah, I mean, I th- and to Sarah's point, I think it's important for us to. We all acknowledge we are not pro athletes. We all acknowledge that we can barely understand what it's like to have that one window of opportunity to play for a championship and help your team. But I guess where my major frustration comes from, there's so many nuances to every individual situation. I never, ever, ever hear that, oh my God, I hope he's okay. Or, oh my God, should we reevaluate this decision? It's always, yeah. Can you imagine, look at the war, like you said, the war you're playing through this. And I get it, but we have to have space for there to be a different version of a story of how an injured player decides or is handled in the postseason. Because we're not, there's no space for it. There's only one narrative. There's only one route out of this if you're injured and there's no space for anything else. 
nothing at, like at this point. There's just, I do think it starts with the rule book and the NHLPA and a lot of people that are on the right side of history or want to be on the right side of history are still kind of dragging their feet because it's going to take a long time and it's going to be a lot. And they had just gone through the COVID NHLPA negotiations and stuff and everybody is burnt out, but it's going to take pushing harder. We're going to have to advocate for people's health and the league to change if we want it to change. Like we can't just throw up our hands and say we're tired. For sure. For sure. Well said, Sarah. Uh, that brings us, my friends, to the end of the shit list for now. Shocking, but true. Um, <laughs> big sigh from Sarah. We end every episode. Um, maybe we shift over to a little bit of levity if we can, and that is fuck, Mary kill. And Sarah, we've missed you so much. We've missed your brand. So we're going to let you go first. Oh, God. In the wake of two conference finals just beginning and each team taking a little bit different of a path, a little bit different amount of timing, here is your fuck, Mary kill. Fuck, Mary kill. Waiting nine days to play again. That's number one. Number two, playing two days after you win. Number three, golfing in the offseason. Yep, I am marrying playing nine days after you win because I know that's a lot. But at the same time, I don't get why people are moaning and groaning about that. I guess you get kind of out of the game. But at the same time, I think it's so much more of an advantage to heal everything that's been banged up. And I know the Lightning had a few players kind of return and give them room to get their some of their stars back, maybe even later on in the series or something. Like, you need as much time as possible with that stuff. I think that's more important than needing to get your legs under you for two periods of game one. Like, I think people overplay the rest narrative too much. I will fuck. I guess playing two days after because you're still playing and it... It, it gets it over with kind of quicker, right? Like, it, you see your fate a lot sooner. Like, I, I think about what if the Hurricanes won game seven and then they immediately then just get swept by the Leafs, uh, the Leafs, the Lightning. Like, I'd rather that than have them be rested and then lose in seven again. So that works. And then I'm going to kill the golf course because I don't even like to golf and I think it's boring. So do something else with your time for once. Shayna. Yep, I'm going to have to agree. Uh, I hate golf. I would not want to play it. And even when we see a player enjoying their offseason, like we did with Brady Kachuk, who has a very long offseason, it quickly was taken away from us, so I will kill that. Um, I will fuck playing quickly after one series ends because you do get to, like, stay within a rhythm and, you know, there's less of a chance of, like, paralysis by analysis because you're overthinking it. So maybe you're running a bit more on adrenaline and, you know, you just keep going with that same cadence, which maybe that's better, too, because... You know, sometimes players can get cold and then you get back into a game and maybe there's a heightened chance for injuries. You know, we've definitely seen that before. So that's that. And then I will marry the rest because, like Sarah mentioned, you can heal up from injuries. I'm sure, you know, yes, my head is stuck with the Rangers a bit, but Ryan Lindgren would have killed for nine days to rest. Every part of the duct tape that's holding him together, I don't even want to know how many injuries he's gonna. they're going to announce and how everyone's going to praise it later. But, you know... I'm sure the rest, the, the injured players would like the rest. 
I'm sure players would like to get to see their families a bit because some of them do not get to as much. And it gives, it's a really cool opportunity to study tactics and video and learn the team. And yes, that can burn you if you have nothing to show for it. But I do think it's interesting to see how teams start evolving with all the information that we do have. You know, maybe there's team building ways to watch the series still ongoing, you know, things like that. And yes, it can be too much and you can overthink and it can burn you. But I don't know. I think that when you have more time to really study, I'm sure Tampa had all this put together for Carolina, all this for the Rangers, prepare for both. And then you can adapt your adapt your style more to who your opponent is anyway. Shana, do you have thoughts on Ryan Lindgren? You know, I have a couple. It's just he was the first player that came to mind. Like, I'm sure Leon Dreisaitl would love the time off. And I'm sure, you know, anybody on Colorado, Darcy Kemper had time off between round one and two. And I'm sure he would have loved having more, you know, there you go, more players. I'm trying to think of players we know are, like, visibly injured. Like, you can tell looking at them going, like, ooh, they're dealing with something. But, like, there's so many we don't know. You did good. Very inclusive of you. Good job. Thank you. That's my job. That's my goal. <laughs> okay, you go. I'm going to um, not disagree with either of you. I'm going to kill the offseason because it's never as fun as, as fighting for a path to greater wins and greater glory. Um, I'm going to also, I was, I'm going to marry wait nine days. And I'm going to take it in the direction you started to go, Shana, because what we know when we've talked to teams is they're preparing for further, further rounds down um, the playoffs your coaching staff has to start preparing a certain amount of time in advance, regardless of where your team is. And so when you have those that additional time, I think it allows you to be A, more dedicated on current play at hand, and then really dive in and really prepare as a coaching staff for the second round. So that's why I'm going to marry that. I'm going to go on my coach's bench there for a little bit. And then I'm going to fuck play two days after you win because – Honestly, I do think all things being considered at the end of the day, it's not going to be as bad as you think. Um, it just isn't the best situation overall, but it can be fun nonetheless, particularly if you come out of the, the gates blazing because you're still in that groove as a team and as a coaching staff. All right. Sarah, Shana, anything I missed? Anything we missed? I think we've got it for now. I'm excited to be back at a more regular pace. I say that as I'm going on a bachelorette party this weekend, but after that, I guess. <laughs> yes, and stay tuned, friends. We're going to try and find some opportunities to do some live game watches with you. Um, we're going to keep coming at you with hockey recap content um, and bits o news. Um, and we're also asking for you to sound off on something. We don't have an official Twitter poll yet, but. We would like to know what color should Shayna dye her hair next? There's all kinds of options. She's looking for some inspo. So if you have some insight for her, let us know. And you can let us know on our Twitter where you should follow us at two underscore much underscore man. Don't forget to check out our website and our merch. You can find that at too many The links are also in our Twitter bio. And until we talk again, we continue to wish a happy pride to all of our friends in the LGBTQIA community every day, not just the days in June. We encourage you to remember that racism is bad, sexism is bad, and always be kind to each other. We'll talk to you soon. Love you, especially bye. the gays. <laughs> I said bye. <laughs>